Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast. Andre Galliber coming to you after that Thanksgiving holiday. I hope yours was good. I hope you got a chance to spend some time with family, not argue over religion and politics too much. You know how that goes. Hope your turkey wasn't dry. Hope your food was seasoned. This is an especially frustrating show. Watching the Knicks go down to the Portland Trailblazers. A game that a lot of people will look at that game and say, no Dame Lillard, you should win that game. You knew it was going to be a tough game regardless. Portland plays decently without Dame Lillard. But it was a game the Knicks really should have won. On paper, as the game played out, it was a game they should have won. It was frustrating to watch them lose that game. Knowing that they were being out-schemed and outsmarted. And, dare I say, the referees sabotaged their efforts in this game as well. That second quarter where the Knicks were out-free-throwed, I think, 28-11, to it was ridiculous. And anytime you watch a broadcast, especially a Knicks broadcast, which the Knicks commentators are not as biased as the commentators around the league. Listening to commentators around the league, they're homers. There's appeal to that. I understand, but here in New York, you're not, you don't get that. You don't get that from the telecast. They're not homers. And Mike Breen, Hall of Famer, he will sit there and watch that Nick team get the whistle blown on them every two seconds and talk about nothing more than the Knicks have to stop fouling. Man, listen. The Knicks are going to play the same defense they always play. Players have the same defensive habits they always play. They always have. It's going to be be ebbs and flows to their effectiveness. They're going to do the same things most nights. Okay? Sometimes there's a regression. Sometimes guys get their head out of their butt and they start playing better. But it's unlikely that in the second quarter of a game, the whole team is fouling everyone. But not in the first quarter, not in the third quarter, not in the fourth quarter, and not in overtime. The referees had lost their marbles in that second quarter. And they clearly course corrected in the second half. Where there weren't as many free throws taken. A lot of the free throws you saw in the second half for Portland were towards the end of the game when the Knicks were trying to get more possessions. Fouling and put them on the line to get the ball back. Just weren't as many calls. And what that did was is it stole the Knicks 14-point lead that they had in the first and early second quarter. And it stole it. And Portland got back in the game. And the Knicks never really recovered. They played even for the rest of the game. But the game wasn't lost because of the referees. They played a part, but they it wasn't lost because of them. It was lost because of how they played. And that's what's the most annoying part about it. What they decided to do on the court. Not even makes or misses. As we know... R.J. Barrett is missing everything on the court. He's not if he's, still, he's not sick anymore. So that excuse is out the window. He's got to play better than he is right now. And as long as he plays, he shoots the ball poorly. And as long as he makes selfish plays, driving to the basket, not creating for other people, they're not going to be as efficient offensively. But understand the Knicks are scoring a lot of points. Think about how many points the Knicks are really scoring with RJ not shooting the ball well and with the team as a whole not shooting the three very well. 
you're hoping that RJ can turn it around because the Knicks will increase their efficiency as a team and actually win these games in spite of the fact of the in spite of some of the mistakes that they're making across the board and at other positions they can they can make up for it with RJ playing better offensively even if he's not hitting all his shots driving to the basket and actually trying to create for somebody instead of just throwing a ball up at the basket would be a huge benefit to the team now you look at RJ's game 6 of 22, 1 of 7 from 3. He got to the line, made his free throws, and he rebounded decently for him, except his matchup had 18 of them. But he out-efforted the Knicks to 18 rebounds. Without any question or doubt, he had 6 offensive rebounds by himself. Their other effort player, Justin Winslow, had 4. That was just working hard and tracking the ball down. Nobody on the Knicks had more than two offensive rebounds except for Quentin Grimes and Mitchell Robinson. Everyone else won. Quickly had one. Brunson had one. You don't expect that from the point guards. RJ had one. And Julius had zero. Zero. That's just effort. That's just effort. In a game where Josh Hart had 18 rebounds, Julius Randle had six. And let's just segue right into Julius, and this is becoming a Julius hate show. And remember, I'm the same person who told you in the preseason where you saw some changes in Julius's offensive approach, and you have seen some still. I'm the same person that tried to tell you that him changing his game, changing his attitude, being a better teammate, might have been inspiring to the younger players on the team. And that just uprooting him early in the season might have been a bad look for the team trying to build something with the young core. But he's reverting back to to the worst of him. You saw it. You saw it a little bit in the OKC game. The game the Knicks won. He had a poor attitude the entire game. You saw it last night. Even though he had a smile on his face, he was playing well. I saw him shaking his head a lot. I saw bad body language. I even saw him smirk a little bit when RJ missed a free throw, a big free throw down the stretch of a game. And I'm not trying to put that evil on him. I don't know what that smirk was. It's just not the right face to have in that situation. You're either encouraging your teammate or or you're just dead-faced, dead-panned. You don't sit there. You don't smirk. What's the smirk for? Telling you were smirking at the referee or something. Like, what do you? There was no other reason for him to be smirking there. Don't smirk when your teammate misses a free throw down the stretch of a game. You've missed plenty. And if you saw him on the bench, you saw him not paying attention to Thibodeau. You see his body language when he's on the court down the stretch and he's not seeing the ball. He wants to be the hero down the stretch, even though he understands that Jalen is the better player. I think he might take a back seat to Jalen. I don't think he likes taking the back seat to RJ, and he shouldn't frankly. But it's not about your ability to make shots. It's about the shots you decide to take. You see what Jalen is doing. Jalen is going to the basket. Jalen is the best post player on the Knicks. Why? Don't tell me about spacing. He's he's doing it in the same spacing. You got better post players guarding you? Okay. Can I see it? Can I see them stop you? 
Can every play that's for you not be an ISO on the perimeter? You look at this game. Look at this game. In a game, Julius Randle's 8-19, 3 of 8 from 3. Not not bad. 4 of 4 from the line. Talked about the rebounds. 6 rebounds. 3 assists. All right. 3 steals, which is very good. 2 turnovers. 4 fouls. 23 points. Not a bad game. Not a bad game. Really isn't. Then you look and see he's a minus 17. A minus 17. Let me go through the plus minus for the game. Okay? Let me go through it for you. RJ Barrett, minus 6. Mitchell Robinson, a plus 7. It was a shame that Mitchell kept getting foul calls. A lot of those foul calls were actually good calls. To be honest with you, I think there was one in a post that was kind of silly. But they were good calls. Mitchell was a difference maker in this game. Not having Mitchell makes the Knicks a worse team. I think I think the numbers are going to start bearing that out. I think his plus minus numbers typically are not telling the whole story because he's on the floor with Julius Randle a lot. And Julius is a minus player a lot, as we're saying today. Minus 17 in the game. Well, why was Mitchell plus seven? Because because of Mitchell's foul trouble, he was playing uneven minutes. He was playing with the second unit. He was playing with other people. Minus six, Jalen Brunson. That was Brunson being on the floor when Portland pulled away at the end. That was Brunson being on the floor when Portland was getting a bunch of foul calls in the second quarter. Quentin Grimes, minus four. Quickly, once again, and we'll talk about quickly a little bit, a plus seven. McBride, a plus three. Hartenstein, a minus six. Obi Toppin, a plus 14. A plus 14. In a game where Obi did not do much of anything, he was better for the team when he was on the floor than Julius Randle who had a good game. If addition by subtraction as an argument had ever been has ever been personified, it was in this game. The Knicks were a better team with Obi Toppin on the floor not doing anything than they were with Julius on the floor having a decent game. And I don't understand either Julius or the coaching staff. And their ability to explain to him what it is he's doing or not doing that's hurting the team. Because to me, it's it's plain as day. It's plain as day. Stand on stand in the corner, space the floor when you're off ball. Run. How come he doesn't run more screen and roll with Julius with with Jalen Brunson? How come it's always the center? Again, we'll get to the coach in a minute. But Julius, stand in the corner, stand in the three-point line, shoot the ball when you're open. When they close out on you, put the ball on the floor and drive to the basket, please. Can you attack the closeout? Can you not do the jab step three-pointer, contested three-pointer anymore? Can that not happen? Can that not happen? Can we not start the third quarter with you taking one good three-point shot? I think it was kind of a decent shot. And then come down in transition and take one off the dribble like you're Steph Curry? 
Can we not do that? We don't need that from you. Because you don't give enough on defense to earn that shot. You see what I'm saying? The Knicks don't have margin for error. They don't shoot a good percentage offensively even though they score a lot of points. They don't have margin for error because defensively they're not stopping people consistently enough. They let teams get into a flow. And other teams have more offensive uh, firepower. They got guys they can just give the ball to and create shots without even having to get into the teeth of your defense. Jalen is not shooting well from three. He's not going to light it up from the outside like Anthony Simons. Okay? There is no reason why Jeremy Grant can drop 40. And I understand some of those 40 points came from the free throw disparity in the second quarter and the free throws on the line in in the uh, overtime when the Knicks were down trying to extend the game. But he still had an excellent game. They could not stop him. And it wasn't like he was driving into a wide open paint. He had his matchup. He beat them. He had some good shots. He had a couple great shots. He just beat his man 1v1. Why can't you do that, Julius, if you want to be the player that, that you think you are? Why can't you just beat your man 1v1 and score at the, at the front of the rim or get fouled? Why can't you do that? You want shots. That's how you get it. That's what Brunson is doing. Why do your shots have to be such bad shots? They're not good shots. And they take the air out of the team. And then defensively, you have sleep half the time. He is such a detriment to winning right now. Too often, like there are ebbs and flows throughout the game. Sometimes he's playing tough defense. Sometimes he's tough on the boards. Sometimes he's going to the basket. And then sometimes he's hoisting up threes. So it's hard to quantify the effect he's having on the team because he's not playing the same way throughout the entire game. And he's killing the Knicks when he has those little lulls where he does silly nonsense. He's killing them. If he didn't do it, they could squeeze out a couple more wins in this record. If he didn't do it, honestly. They would have squeezed this win out if he actually went to the basket consistently throughout this game. They would have won this game. They would have won it. But that's not to mention Obi Toppin, who's not getting any shots. Now that the teams know that he can knock a three down, he struggled in the last few games of the road trip from three. But he's not even getting open anymore. He's not touching the ball very much on offense. He's not being told to attack hard closeouts, clearly. He's not looking at the rim anymore. And that kills me because you're taking Obi out the game every chance. I mean, I'm not going to say every chance. But you are quick to take Obi out the game if you're Tom Thibodeau. But you're, lose, you're leaving Julius Randle and his minus 17 on the game as often as you are. Like, it's almost as if... Thibodeau was looking for a reason to take Obi out the game. He should be looking for a reason to not put Julius back in the game. That's what he should be looking for because it's clear. I know that Tom Thibodeau knows that Julius was a minus 17. I know that he knows what Julius's net ratings are on the season. I know he knows the difference between Julius playing 
hard, playing with passion, and taking good shots, and when he's not. I know he knows it. So why is he so intent on putting him in the game unnecessarily? And I don't even want to jump on the hate Tom Thibodeau brigade that's very popular on Twitter and amongst Nick fans. I don't even want to jump on that bandwagon. He's good at some things, bad at some things. But listen, there was no reason to rush Julius back into that game. You see Obi Toppin's body language. He's probably the most positive guy on the team. The, the team has said it. His body language is so poor now because he's not touching the ball. He's not getting his runouts because he's focusing on defensive rebounding. I'm, hey, that's part of the game. And on offense, he's not touching the ball. He's not getting the ball when he's open. He's on the floor with RJ. RJ's driving to the basket, passing him up at the three-point line. You know, he's open under the rim on cuts and stuff, and he's not getting the ball. Back cuts and alley-oops. He's not touching it. He has mismatches. The ball doesn't find him. He doesn't. They don't even seek it out. That's coaching. That's coaching. And then you're quick to take somebody who's a plus 14 in the game and put somebody who's a minus 17 back in the game. The Knicks were on a run in the fourth quarter. Obi was on the floor. He was getting into it. His energy was infectious. The team was playing well. And as soon as there was a lull in the action, here comes Julius Randle. And next thing you know, we're struggling to put the ball in the basket. We're struggling defensively. We're not getting the hustle plays anymore. And what's maddening about Julius is you saw Julius on Anthony Simons and he locked him down. And I mentioned this years ago when Julius got switched on Trey Young. He was able to slow Trey Young down pretty much every time he got matched up on him. But you don't see Julius get put on some of these perimeter guys switching when his man is on that screen and roll. But it's usually not Julius's man that's, getting, that's the screener. But it's a matchup that the Knicks saw it was working, so they actually sought it out. Put Julius on Anthony. But Chauncey, who outcoached Thibodeau in this game, he made sure that didn't happen again. He made sure that didn't happen again. It looked like in this game that Chauncey knew exactly how to get shots against his defense. And the Knicks, who scored a lot of points, had to rely on Jalen Brunson, who was a hero once again last night. To get them whatever they got on offense. And if you look at the game that, that Brunson had, let's give him respect. I think I don't talk about Brunson that much because, listen, if you don't know by now, you don't know nothing. You don't watch the game. He's just awesome. 10 of 22, 3 of 8 from 3, 9 of 9 from the line, 4 defensive rebounds, 5 defensive rebounds, 4 assists. No steals and steal that ball a little bit. 32 points. If you're watching the games, you know how important Jalen Brunson is. Which is why Jalen having to play hero ball every night because RJ can't hit anything and Julius is a numb nut most of the game can't last. And you see Jalen is questionable for the game tonight against Memphis in a game against John Moran, against a good Memphis team that you know you need Jalen to win. And now Jalen is hurt. Muscala fell on his leg in the OKC game. He toughed it out against Portland, but now he's questionable. And you're feeling like here are two games at home. You should have gone at least one and one with these two games. You lost a game you should have won as the game played out. Now you're playing against Memphis without Jalen Brunson, and this, the chances of winning are pretty slim. The Knicks got to play above their heads to win this game.
But why does Jalen have to play like that? It's not because the other players are no good and don't have the skill. They have the skill. Well, RJ is questionable. But Julius has a skill, but he doesn't have the mindset. And he's not being coached or told what to do. And you're quick to put him in the game so he can play a zillion minutes. You're keeping a young kid whose energy and effort and the fact that he spaces the floor is a benefit to your team. And you're putting him on the bench and playing this guy who's a minus 17 in a game that you lost in overtime. By three points. By three points. Six rebounds in a game where Josh Hart had 18. 38 minutes you played him. You played him 38 minutes in overtime game, of course, extra five minutes. You played him 38 minutes in this game. OB played uh, 14 minutes. Come on. No, he didn't play well. But it's not always in the numbers. Just like it's not in the numbers for Julius, who had decent numbers in this game. It's not all in the numbers. It's in the effort plays. It's in effort. It's in rotations. It's in energy. Why can't you see that? It's maddening. Why can't you see that? You see, he sees it with Sims. He's force-feeding Sims into the game because Sims is giving them so much on really on really just a defensive side on the floor. But just his his effort alone is infectious. His presence is infectious. It affects the other team. Where Julius is, is loafing half the game. I saw somebody on Twitter say the Knicks are not going to trade Julius until Obi starts to play better. You got your head up your butt. This has nothing to do with Obi playing better. Because they don't know what Obi is yet. And they're happy to find out. Because Julius' contract, which is not even a terrible contract. He's making less than $25 million a year. Okay? Not even a terrible contract. Nobody wants a guy who they can't count on every night. Having a discernible skill set has a value in the NBA. Knowing that we can plug you in to a spot on our roster or our starting lineup in our rotation and you're going to give us night in, night out, you're going to rebound, you're going to play defense, or you're going to hit spot-up shots, you're going to score in the post. You know, you have switchability on defense. Whatever it is, we know that you're going to give it to us. Josh Hart, for example, he doesn't do anything especially great except for rebound as a young player, as a a wing player, I should say, not so young anymore. They know you can rebound from the wing. Everything else is kind kind of sort of. He can hit an open shot. He can drive and finish sometimes, but he can play some good defense. We know he can rebound. He's going to give you effort every play. That's why Josh Hart, to me, has been a valuable player, an underrated player to have on your roster, in your rotation. A guy who can guard one through three at least, and against some teams, maybe even a small four. Suitable as a shooter. Suitable as as a playmaker. Came into the league as a point guard. The Knicks would rather have Josh Hart than Randall. Playing different positions, but they'd rather have Josh Hart because they know what they're going to get every night. It's not a mystery box. 
Take a guy like Harrison Barnes, who's not necessarily lighting it up. If you've been following the NBA, you know Harrison Barnes has had some trade whispers the last couple years. But he's been making a lot of money. It looks like he's on a descending uh, contract, which means he makes a little bit less money every year. Go back two or three years, he's making like $25 million a year. And it felt like he was overpaid. That's how much money you spend a guy who's a primary scorer. He was giving you around 18 points a game at the time, but nobody felt like he was a sexy primary scorer. He was a solid player. You can hit an open shot. You can give him the ball at the end of the shot clock, and he's going to get a good shot up. He's going to play defense. He's going to rebound. He's going to hustle. He's going to be in the right places. You can count on him. Maybe too much money at $25 million for that guy, but there was a discernible skill there and a value to a team that was trying to win. So Sacramento had him on the block. Made a lot of money, so it was hard to trade him, but there were a lot of whispers. Right now, he's on the last year of his deal, making around $18 million a year. Serviceable for what he does. If you look at his numbers, they don't jump out at you, but Sacramento has been winning, right? He's been a part of that. Playing close to 30 minutes a game. Right now, Harrison Barnes, a player that 90% of NBA fans would not even be paying attention to. Right now, he has more value around the league, not just because he's on the last year of his deal, but because you can count on him to do what he does every night. And if that's what you need, he's perfect for you. There is more value in Harrison Barnes at $18 million, $20 million, $23, even $24, $25 million than Julius Randle. That's why the Knicks have to attach a draft pick to trade Julius Randle right now. Whereas for the last two, three seasons, there would have been some value coming back in a Harrison Barnes trade. There's definitely going to be a little bit if they trade him now while he's on the last year of his deal. But the Knicks have to pay to get rid of Julius Randle. It has nothing to do with Obi Toppin. Now, Julius Randle is very close to this front office, so maybe they're biased in their viewpoint. But we all know that Julius Randle was on a block in the offseason. The reports were out there. They could not get rid of him, which is why the Donovan-Mitchell trade, again, was a factor. He was going to come to a team with a Julius Randle who was playing the way he's playing now. He's not playing with Jared Allen, Darius Garland. You know, he's not playing with those guys. He's playing with Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett, who can't shoot. Obviously, Jalen Brunson is exempt from that shade. But because Julius Randle doesn't give you the same thing every night, he does not have value around the league. It has nothing to do with Obi Toppin. If Tom Thibodeau does not start showing that he knows that the things that Julius Randle needs to do, he can do, and is choosing not to do it, then I'm with the Shade Thibodeau Brigade. I'm with it. Because it's inconsistent, and I've said it on the show before, and now it's starting to, it's starting to get a little bit more popularity around Nick Twitterverse. The Knicks always talk about accountability, but Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett are immune to it. They can be poor defensively. They can be they can be terrible offensively, and they will still play their minutes. And there are other options on the floor because addition by subtraction is a thing. 
It's a thing. And I talked about the Thibodeau shade is going to come in this episode. Why is Isaiah Hartenstein never in the high post as a passer? Why is he always the primary screener instead of being a space to floor guy? He can shoot the three, so he should be spotted up. Do the pick and roll with, I don't know, maybe Obi in the point guard? Maybe Randall in the point guard? Why would you do it with Isaiah every single time and then the Knicks are piss poor at hitting the rollers? They're piss poor at hitting rollers and they're piss poor at making the weak side corner pass, which makes the screen offense, which its entire offense is based on, a joke. They they had success with angled pick and roll, pick and roll from the wing, uh, with Fournier, with Burks last year. You saw it in spots. They never do it anymore. Never do it. And again, for a team that's scoring a lot of points, it's hard to question. It's not hard because people question it anyway, but they're scoring a lot of points. It's just not done efficiently. And there are ways to improve that simply by running different sets and getting people different shots, getting putting putting them in position where they, they can succeed. And they're not doing that. And if you're not going to use Hartenstein in the ways that he is most useful on offense, then he's probably not more effective for this team than Sims is. And I wish I had gotten a chance to talk about Sims in the offseason more. I didn't get a chance to talk about him until the preseason where he didn't really look all that great. But when you saw Sims play last year, I saw a lot of potential in him defensively. He needed to get his head out of his butt a little bit. The effort was there, but he wasn't really a natural basketball player, you could tell. But he caught on so quickly, and you didn't really see it that much in the preseason. But you've seen it here in the regular season. And you saw it in the regular season and the last year. If you thought, and they signed Sims to a contract in the offseason. So if you thought Sims was, was turning the corner, and look at the way he's improved his free throws. This guy shot free throws with his thumbs. Look, he I think he's only missed one free throw in the season so far. It's a small sample size, but still he could not hit one. You've not seen Mitchell Robinson improve from the line the way Sims has in one offseason. You sign him to a contract, and then you bring in Hardenstein, a signing I don't, I'm not going to shade it. I'm not going to shade it. But I told you before, I hate cock blocking. I'm sorry for the language. I hate when you sign a player and then, or you have young players on the roster that play the same position. I hate it. I hate it. But Hardenstein was a good signing. If you were going to use Hardenstein for his skill set, not if you're going to have him out there doing something that Jericho Sims could do and probably do it better. It doesn't make sense. So now you're in a situation where Tom is playing three centers because Mitchell's in foul trouble all the time, which is now officially outrageous. Because you've seen the effect that Mitchell's having on the floor. You're seeing him do things that Hartenstein cannot do defensively. And I said that day one. If you were confused, all you guys who were calling for Hartenstein to put Mitchell on the bench, I hope you know better now. But with Mitchell being in foul trouble all the time, they need Jericho Sims to do the things that Hartenstein can't do. And Jericho's not even a great shot blocker. He does not have great timing. 
But he's in there. He's in the position a lot. And he has a big body. And Hartenstein is too. But just Jericho jumping sky high every time you're taking a shot, it's a little intimidating. Hartenstein, not so much. Hartenstein has to beat you to the spot, and now he's dealing with an Achilles injury. It's probably preventing him from beating people to the spot. But he's not been terrible. He's just not been as good as Mitchell. And not as dynamic defensively as Jericho can be. I think Jericho's physicality and athleticism can be intimidating defensively. Because he's just there all the time. Whereas Hartenstein, it's easier to beat him. Even though he's not been necessarily easy to beat. If you can follow. So they're playing three centers now. Now Hartenstein, $8 million contract. If you're going to bring Hartenstein in because of his skill set and then not use his skill set, you're ridiculous. You're ridiculous. And again, I hate the shade, Tom Thibodeau. I... I think he gets too much, but this is fair. Some of this stuff is fair. Why don't you use him for what he does well? Why not? It's silly to even have him on the floor. I know he's not shooting well from three, but he's not getting consistent looks from three either. Why wouldn't you put him on the perimeter and run screen and roll with someone else? Maybe the guy who never gets a a shot? Who was a lottery pick? Maybe him? Try it, maybe? You've seen him score, but you wouldn't take opportunities out of his his, uh, hands every game and then being mad that he's not efficient. The one thing he turned himself into was a spot-up shooter, and now teams are taking that away. Coach him up. Give him opportunities. You don't do it. And it's a joke. Let's wrap it up. Talk about uh, Emmanuel quickly here. Him potentially being on a trade block is obvious that they see his value. He's playing more and more minutes. He's still not shooting especially well, but you've seen an uptick in his offensive aggressiveness. And I think I talked about this last show. It does bother me a little bit. Because he's been playing like a wallflower he played like a wallflower off and on last year. Some of that wasn't his fault. He's played like a wallflower shooting the ball this year. Then you start seeing trade rumors. And all of a sudden this guy has turned it up a notch. And I'm sitting here wondering, are you turning it up a notch because you want to stay here? Or are you turning it up a notch because you want to go? Because it feeds my own personal theory that quickly ask for a trade. You saw some of his people acting up on Twitter a couple weeks ago complaining about Thibodeau and playing time and all that kind of stuff. These were people that were close to him, according to some reporters. And then you start seeing Quickly's name come up in trade talk. And now you start to see an uptick in his offensive aggressiveness. I don't know if he's trying to play his way to get traded. And if that's, the, if that's what he's doing, then that means he wasn't really playing his whole game before and that's just weird to me but I'm not going to put all of that on him because he's played very very well as a floor game wise not numbers wise Uh, his plus numbers his net rating defensive rating all by far the best on the team so conversation on Twitter about him being quote unquote expendable a word used in an article by Fred Katz talking about quickly possibly being on the block 
And I just want to clarify something. I want you to understand when they talk about him being expendable, it's about the future and not now. And I think that's where fans frustrate me. And if I haven't expressed that properly, forgive me, because that's, that's the point I've been trying to make. The fans will vacillate between talking about how this team needs to be thinking about the future, but then get bogged down with the present. And get emotionally bogged down with the present. Quickly is on a team that's currently nine and ten, and he has a he's a big part of that nine and ten. You can't just say he's a big part of the nine and not a big part of the ten. I'm not shading him at all. I'm saying him, Brunson, guys who have played well in theory, in conversation, you know, you understand what I'm saying. Quickly's numbers are not great. Brunson's are. Two guys who have played well and consistently all year. The team is still 9 and 10. Because the roster as it stands, and the Knicks know this, is not good enough to win. Not win big. They're good enough to be 500. And if you can be 500 with quickly, you can be 500 without quickly. Now somebody say, nope, they're going to be less than 500 without quickly. Maybe somebody else can come in and actually score consistently. And that scoring consistently could be a benefit to the team. Maybe McBride can come in and defend as well as quickly does and give a lot of the defense that quickly gives. So maybe quickly moving actually evens out in the end for this team. And if it doesn't, so what? That's what you guys are missing. It's not about this roster now. It's about going forward. You can't bog down your salary cap paying a sixth man or a seventh man in your rotation when you don't have your top three guys lined up yet. And I'm not saying quickly is is at fault. Not blaming him. I'm not even saying he's necessarily expendable to any team. I think that's the wrong word. But I'm saying that's not, you don't build a championship roster holding on to Emmanuel quickly three years away from a championship roster. He's going to be up for another contract before you're you're ready to to actually compete. You want to say it's two years if you're able to make some splash, big splash trades? Okay. He's not going to get four years guaranteed. He's probably not. Maybe, I mean, even, even so, you don't want, that's not, you don't start from the bottom. Of the rotation. You start from the top. Jalen got his contract. I think he's earned it. RJ and Randall. Looking like mistakes. Randall's a mistake. Not because of his skill set. But because of how he plays. And it's hard for me to even be mad at the Knicks. For signing Randall after the season he had. Right now he's making $23 million a year. If he played like he did two years ago. That would be a bargain. But be, he, him playing like this is just a joke. And you're blaming the Knicks for signing him to that deal. He needs to look in the mirror. But yeah, those contracts are on the books. Mitchell's contracts are on the books. And I don't really love Mitchell's contract. I get it. I don't really love it. And for the same reason, you had Sims on the roster. I just don't think... I understand the importance of Mitchell. but it, And it's not a terrible contract. I think let's start with that. But you can't keep saying that. You can't keep signing guys to 
oh, it's not a terrible contract. And you don't have your big contract guys sewn up. You don't have your superstars sewn up. Obviously, they do have their big contract guys sewn up. That's a problem in RJ and Randall. But they're looking to improve from a superstar standpoint. You can't be bogging down your roster with guys who, oh, yeah, I guess maybe he's overpaid, maybe he's underpaid. You can't, you can't have those guys in the beginning. You got to get those guys at the end. And I think that's the issue with Quickly. I think Quickly had a window of value to this franchise that they fumbled away. I think Obi had a window of value for this franchise that they fumbled away. Now these guys' money is coming up. And you can't sign all of these dudes to these contracts making $15 million a year and get bogged down salary cap-wise, and then you can't make the moves you need to make because you're bogged down because you got Emmanuel quickly. So I'm not saying quickly is a useless player and is expendable in a, in a vacuum. I'm saying they can't maximize his value right now. So it doesn't make sense to pay him at his value right now. And that's what you're going to have to do in this offseason. If you can keep him, great. Trade Rose instead. Trade Mitchell after December 15th. You ain't going to be able to. (laughs) Trade Randall. But these players are not valuable around the league right now for various reasons. Quickly is. So if you need to make a move, it might have to be him. I think Rose has a little value. He has to get healthy. So Rose first. but And obviously Fournier, who's at negative value. But nobody, you know, we all understand that. So if you want to make moves, it has to be the guys that people want. And if it's going to be quickly, there's an argument for keeping him. But you're just going to be 500 until you get your superstars. So And he's probably going to have to go in one of those trades. Because you're going to have to trade for one. So it's you got to look at the bigger picture. If you want a superstar, either don't bog down your cap with guys making too much money. Who are just end of the rotation guys or six man or seven man. You know, back-end starters. Don't bog down your salary cap with those cap with those salaries. And keep in mind that the only way you're going to get a superstar is to trade them. And the only players that are going to go in those trades are players that other teams want. And quickly is that guy. So he's going to get traded one way or the other. That's the way you got to look at it. It's not just about what he's doing for the team right now. Anyway, we're going to wrap it up. We'll be on after this Memphis game. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm always looking forward to talking to you guys. Not looking forward to the game without Brunson is looking like. Without Cam. Without Rose. Ugh. But either way, make sure you check out sportsethos.com at sportsethos on Twitter at ethos Knicks. Come follow. Come like. Review the show. Tell me how I can do better. Get better. Until next time. Peace.